You are listening to the Sermon Podcast for First Ozark United Methodist Church in Ozark, Alabama. Thank you for joining us. It is a delight to be together. I've been looking forward ever since uh, Jason and uh, David Etheridge told me that uh, St. Paul's AME was going to be here. I've been looking forward to it, and I can attest you are here. (laughs) You are present and accounted for. And, uh, and, and as Jason said earlier, quoting Psalm 133, this is a fulfillment of a biblical uh, psalm, Psalm 133, how very good and pleasant it is when kindred dwell together in unity. What do we not get about that? Well, the world doesn't get that, but how good and pleasant it is. And then it says, <laughs> it's so good, it's like the oil. Remember that? <laughs> Running down <laughs> on Aaron, <laughs> Aaron's beard. And then it says at the end, for there God ordains a blessing, life forevermore. Amen. Y'all, this is, this is a taste of eternal life. I mean, get used to this multicolored look that we have here because this, <laughs> this, this is where we're headed here. <laughs> uh, case, case you... In case you didn't read about that in the book of Revelation, you shouldn't have bought that Bible at 30% off if it doesn't have that in there because this is, this is a great vision that we have here, but we're experiencing it tonight. And I want to thank you so much, Pastor Kinsey, and your wonderful congregation for being here. It is a great blessing. We need you, and I hope that will become clear what I mean by that a little later. But I want to just bring everybody on board together, especially our AME friends who are here, because what we've been doing Sunday morning, Sunday evening, is we've been reflecting upon the question, what holds us together? You know, that, you know that, that, that song we did last night about prayer, sweet hour of prayer, in seasons of distress and grief. So what holds us together? Because there will be those seasons. And sometimes people don't know what holds them together, and, and something they thought held them together goes away, and they fall apart. But sometimes we learn. <laughs> well, Hebrews says, the book of Hebrews says, when things are shaken, we find out what cannot be shaken. <laughs> And that's what we want to know. And so Sunday morning, we heard Jesus say, go and make disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father. And what else? Son, Holy Spirit. We talked about that's the Apostles' Creed. That's why we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus, his only Son, our Lord. I believe in the Holy Spirit. That's the God who holds us together. Nothing else holds us together. Anything less than that cannot hold us together. So that's where we started. We're focusing on what holds us together to be clear. That's why we say every time we get together for worship on Sunday morning, we say the Apostles' Creed. Did you know in the Book of Common Prayer, when you do morning prayer, when you do evening prayer, you say the Apostles' Creed? Because that's what holds us together. Not the words, but the God, who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, is what holds us together. Well, uh, then, last night, we talked about, well, how how do you stay connected to that God? who holds us together. And uh, we listened to Jesus tell us about praying. But before we read the words of the Lord's Prayer, he said, go into your room and shut the door. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you because the reward is God. Yes. Be still, Psalm 46, 10 says, and know that I am God. And then we looked at the Lord's Prayer and how every phrase of it can teach us how to pray in a fresh and new way. So, um, by the way, 
Speaking of Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you know what the motto? See, they're way ahead of us here at St. Paul's. You know, you know what the motto of the AME Church is? God, our Father, Christ, our Redeemer, Holy Spirit, our Comforter, humanity, our family. <laughs> God, our Father, Jesus, our Christ, our uh, Redeemer, Holy Spirit, our Comforter. That is the Apostles' Creed. That is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. They, they know what holds us together. That's what binds us together tonight. So it's very important that they are here, though, for another reason. And uh, I, I want to move on to that. Um, the, um, but but I, the, the answer to why this is so important, another aspect of what holds us together, is found in the letter of St. Paul to the Ephesians. And I'm going to read a part of it from chapter 2 in just a moment. But first I want to tell you uh, how, we got, how I got on to this. When I graduated from seminary, did, when, when did you graduate, Melanie? Just last year? <laughs> Melanie, Melanie said to me earlier, she's so kind, you know, she said, what was it like going to school with John Wesley? And I, I said, Melanie, you slipped one in on me there like that, you know. But when I graduated from seminary, I don't, I don't know about you, Melody, I was so ready to go. I was ready to get out. We had classes on preaching. I want to go preach. Classes on administration. I want to go. To, I, I, so for the first three years when I got out of seminary, Bill pointed to this church in Panama City, Florida. And I, as I got out of the seminary, I just did everything morning, noon, and night. I mean, I went lickety split. I mean, I, was, I would be up because John Wesley got up early. Billy, we know about that. I got up early, and uh, at 4 o'clock, Wesley would get up. So there I am up. I'm reading my Bible, and I'm praying, and then you have breakfast. Then we're visiting the hospitals, and then we're going to nursing homes, and then back to your study to work on your sermon, and then work on agenda for the board meeting, and then go visit people in their homes, then prepare weddings, prepare funerals, then take telephone calls, respond to people's needs, be, be all over the map, and for three years, I did it. And after three years, I hit a wall. <laughs> and this question formed in my mind. I'm three years now down the road, and the question formed in my mind, wait a minute. You, you are running all over the map doing all of these things. Is there anything that ties this together? Is there any connection between the nursing home visit and the sermon and the hospitals and the administrative board meeting and all these things you're doing? Is there a golden thread that links all of this? Or am I doomed to 40 years of schizophrenic living? Just running around and I don't know what I'm doing. Is that what ministry is? And so, I'm, you know, when you form a question, a yearning in there, I need to know. What's the big purpose behind all that? And finally, it came down to the question of me saying to the Lord, what would success look like for you, Lord? What are you after in all this running around that I'm doing and all these dimensions of ministry? And then an interesting thing happened. I was reading Ephesians, and I was reading it in a version that I almost never read. It's called the New English Bible. And it's really a beautiful translation. It's a good thing. Because in Ephesians 1, Paul has, he's so filled with great truth and joy that, he, that there's this sentence that goes on forever and ever. But in the New English Bible, this is what it says. So imagine my yearning. I can't go on. Three years out, I can't go on. Can't keep doing this unless I know what binds it all together. And then I, my eyes come upon these words. God has made known to us his hidden purpose. Hallelujah, Lord. That's what I need to know. 
God has made known to us his hidden purpose to be put into effect when the time was ripe, namely, that the universe, all in heaven and on earth, might be brought into a unity in Jesus Christ. Wow. The one thing I needed to know, what is God after in all that I'm doing? And there it was, God's purpose is to unite all things in Jesus Christ. Given what the little bit I've shared with you about my background of brokenness, being raised by my grandparents, dealing with domestic violence in our family, you would understand when I, when I realized God is on the side of addressing brokenness and bringing healing and putting people together and putting the world together, but God does it through Jesus Christ. Yeah. Then I knew that's what God's after. And that nursing home visit, God's reaching out to reconcile people. In that hospital visit, God's reaching out to reconcile people. In that funeral, in that wedding, in that sermon, in that board meeting, it's all about bringing everybody together as Jesus does in the name of Jesus Christ. So God is uniting all things in Christ. Now, the beauty, the reason Paul, he mentions this in Ephesians 1, but you know why it's so important? He actually, this is where he actually says, the church is the body of Christ. You've heard that language. The church is the body of Christ on earth. And the reason he wants the Ephesians to know that is they are a tiny minority movement. Ephesus is a city of a quarter of a million people, and it is as pagan as you can be. The great temple of the goddess Diana is there, and the Christian movement is very tiny. So if they just looked at what they have among them right now, we would seem like we're not going to make it. But Paul elevates their thinking. You are the body of Christ, and you're not alone. Their brothers and sisters in Thessalonica, in Philippi, in Jerusalem, in Rome, in every one of the cities, the gospel is beginning to grow and beginning to develop. And so this lifted their spirits to realize it's not all on us. God is doing this all over. And that's why when we come together tonight, doesn't it lift your spirit to see St. Paul here? To know. They, 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 they're there. And, and, and I hope that, that they will take away from here a sense that, 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 that being with us, being here with this congregation has been a blessing. Because we live in the same time. We're not going anywhere, are we? Y'all going to be located where y'all are now? Are we going to be located where we are now? But well, why don't we keep doing it? Why don't we show the community what that could look like? So, but here's, here's another fundamental reason. And I was serving First Methodist Montgomery. I was driving to work and we, in Montgomery, Alabama, cradle of the Confederacy, birthplace of the modern civil rights movement. Uh, in Montgomery, I, we would have AME churches. We would have AME Zion churches. We'd have CME churches. And I started praying, Lord, some, these are all part of the, of the Wesleyan family. They all trace themselves back to John Wesley. They have all uh, the same doctrine, the same polity, all of that. It's such a rich family but we never get together. Somebody needs to do something about that. Amen. Amen. You know what the Lord said? Well, you got a telephone. <laughs> I'll give you that as clear as day. It was as clear as Steve Klaus speaking on the floor of the legislature. The Lord said to me, by the way, our son Philip has a great respect for Steve, and we, he, he's one of the people y'all have given the state to be serving there. But the Lord, the Lord actually said to me, you got to, why don't you call the pastors? And I called them. And, you know, I, I just invited them to lunch, and they came. And then I said to them, I'm not, uh, you know, I'm not inviting you to, to, I'm not forming a movement. I don't have an agenda in mind. 
I just wanted to know you as a brother or sister in Christ. Kathy McFadden from Old Ship Zion was there. All, all, Claude Schufert, all these folks were there. And I said, I just, so we started meeting together for lunch. After a while, they came up with the idea, as a witness to the community, why don't we have a, a, a joint worship service with all seven AME, Amy Zion, CME, and our one United Methodist Church? Why don't we do that on Pentecost, the birthday of the church? Whoa. I said, great. And I decided I was going to be so helpful to them, you know. So I said, uh, great. And we'll, we'll meet in a neutral site like Huntington College or go to auditorium. And they, they, the, the, the African-American pastor said to me, uh, no, 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 no. Why don't we come to your church? Because there was a time back in the 1920s and 30s and 40s and 50s we wouldn't have been able to come. So if you really want to make this a Pentecost service, now if we really want to say, come Holy Spirit, why don't we meet at your church? First Methodist Church Montgomery embraced that beautifully. The day came, multicolored choir, magnificent, just like you've heard. Congregation full of people there. And then I thought that, well, this is wonderful. Witness to the community. We did it every year for several years. But then they came up with something I hadn't thought about. Why don't we start having Lenten covenant groups among our churches? That's six weeks. Once a week studying. And the reason I'm telling you that is, here's a report that came to me. In one of those meetings, one of our members from First Methodist Church, a white lady, said to the African-American folks who were there, y'all, this is wonderful, this is great, I want to participate in this fully, but I mean, we get into discussion about studying these passages, what if I say, so? we come from different backgrounds, different cultural backgrounds, what if I say something that is offensive to you? <laughs> <laughs> Y'all ever been offended? <laughs> Y'all fragile? <laughs> and you know what the African-American lady that spoke up said to my church member? Well, you just go ahead and be natural, be normal, just share whatever you want to share. And if it's offensive to us, we'll just hear it the best way we can. <laughs> this is not their first rodeo. They were saying, we want a relationship rather than parsing your speech, pouncing on you. We may all not get it right sometime, but we want a relationship. Do you hear that in there? The beauty of that. Now, that's why you want to think about the larger church, because we need you. We need what we can learn from people who've been through tough times. People who know what it is to have to say how I got here by God's grace, because it's been a long road. They will impart strength to us. This is a wonderful thing. But now, let's move from that big picture. Let's move to the local church. These two local churches. What does Paul say here about, uh, what else can he tell us about? God has his vision to unite all things in Christ. But you want to ask God, God, where is that happening? What is your plan to actually execute the vision and bring people together? And Paul says, well, that's the purpose of the church. But listen to this. Listen to this in terms of your local church. This is Ephesians 2, starting with verse 11. So then, remember that at one time you Gentiles by birth, called the uncircumcision by those who are called the circumcision, 
a physical circumcision made in the flesh by human hands, remember that you were at that time without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenant of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he is our peace. This is a part of the Bible I almost never hear people read. It's so beautiful. It's so amazing. He is our peace. In his flesh, he made both groups into one. And he has broken down the dividing wall, the hostility between us. He has abolished the law with its commandments and ordinances that he might create in himself, get this, one new humanity in place of the two, thus making peace, and might reconcile both groups to God in one body through the cross, putting to death the hostility through it. So he came and he preached peace to you who were far off, and he preached peace to you who were near. For through him, both of us have access in one spirit to the Father. So you're no longer strangers, aliens, you're citizens with the saints, members of the household of God, built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ himself as the cornerstone. Is that a vision or what? This idea that the church is where God brought together. This is what Paul is saying. Those who were far off were Gentile Christians, pagans. Those who are near are people who were raised with the Ten Commandments, raised in Judaism. Both groups have become Christian, but the problem is they've been raised to hate each other. There's this high, and so isn't it just like God? I tell you what we'll do. We'll bring together people that hate each other. And there'll be hostility all over the place here, so thick you can cut it. And that's the only way God can demonstrate the power of the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. It's the only thing that can remove the dividing wall of hostility. So the fact that hostility is mentioned twice here is a reminder to us, we don't need to back away from experiences of hostility. We know what it is. We, understand, we, we can lean into that. That's what Paul is saying here, Jesus is doing in bringing people together in the church. They're going to be people who would never have been together were it not for Jesus Christ. Those who were far away, pagans, those who were raised in the, in the Jewish religion, and now they've come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. So this is the, the amazing uh, vision that is here, is that both groups can be brought together and a dividing wall of hostility. Aren't you glad to know the Bible knows about dividing walls? Because they're all over the place. They, 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 we, we can have dividing walls within us. There can be dividing walls within families. There can be dividing walls within churches. There can be dividing walls within communities. That's not the final word for God. That's just the starting line. And what does God say? The blood of Jesus Christ. Now, here's where we got to do a little theological, biblical study here. Because what Jesus' death on the cross means is sometimes limited to only one understanding. And it's big, what Jesus did on the cross. The one understanding we often talk about is, Jesus died for my sins. Do you understand that language? You understand what we're talking about? Jesus died for my sins. He took my place on the cross. Well, that's absolutely true. But did you know the Bible doesn't stop there? Do you know the Bible says that when Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead, what that really was about was a battle with sin and death and evil and that Jesus won a victory for the whole world. 
so that it's not just limited to my sins. The, 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 way, I, the way I parse this out is my grandparents who raised me. One time, John and Bob, our neighbors and I, went to Alvin's yard, and we pulled up all his tomato plants. <laughs> I wasn't sanctified early in life, you know, so I thought, and so, but we didn't know that Miss Kitchens was looking out her window at us, and she told us daddy. And so that night, his daddy called and said to me, I'm nine years old, if you don't get over here right now and replant them at night, I'm going to call the police. That'll scare you when you're nine years old or, or any age. I didn't go, but my grandmother went and took my place. So I understand substitutionary atonement when Jesus takes your place on the cross. She paid for my sins. You get it? I got that. But guess what granddaddy did? Granddaddy was born in 1900. He left school at age 16 to go defend our country in World War I. He was wounded on the battlefield, in the mud for three days, came back, was a, a wounded warrior for the rest of his life. Granddaddy didn't, re, didn't do anything. He didn't replant tomato plants for me. He helped win a victory for the whole world. That's what Jesus does. That's what we're talking about here. But it's, of course, Jesus is my Savior, died for your sins on the cross, but it doesn't stop there. The world needs a victory. You understand what I'm talking about? The, the, the world keep struggling for something it hasn't been able to do. It, every, I think people would think about it. I think they would agree if you let them think about it. Don't we need a victory over some things around here? Or do we just keep talking about it over and over and wringing our hands and messing with it over and over again? Is there a victory? And one of the way, best way I know to talk about that is all of you have been there too. Wednesday night prayer meeting where this fellow prayed the same prayer every Wednesday night. You remember that guy? They were in a circle. You know, you've been there, and you go around, and everybody pray. And this one fellow always prayed every Wednesday night, Lord, clean the cobwebs of sin out of my life. <laughs> and the next Wednesday night, Lord, when it was his turn, Lord, clean the cobwebs of sin out of my life. And the next Wednesday night, but one Wednesday night, the fellow next to him had had all he could take. And that night when the fella said, Lord, clean the cup, the other fella next to him said, don't do it, Lord. <laughs> don't clean the cobwebs of sin out of his life. Kill the spider. <laughs> you know, I, 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 I acknowledge racism and sexism and poverty and hatred and violence. But do we ever kill the spider? Did Jesus' death on the cross affect anything other than my personal salvation? He died for my sins. Is the world better off because of that? Is there a victory you and I can announce to the world that the dividing walls do not have to be there anymore? If they're there, it's because we let them be there. Because Jesus can kill the spider. That, that's the beauty of the cross, the worldwide beauty of the cross to me. Now, let me hasten on to this. What would it look like if a local church were to entertain this vision? That, 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 that the church doesn't have a mission, the church is the mission. Getting everybody in, yes, you're on opposite sides of everything, we get that. That's the starting line. It's not where God's going to finish with you, though. Because the dividing walls are going to come down. And that's how the world can see what God is going to do. The church is the demonstration plot where God does that. But is anybody willing, is anybody willing to entertain that vision? Well, 
I went to see a church one time that did. And y'all, it's glorious. Now, here's, here's the way I came to see them. When I was serving as bishop of the South Georgia Conference, I would meet with my six district superintendents all the time, of course. But every time we'd get around to making appointments and thinking about the churches, Pastor Kinsey, we'd, they, they, they would help me know because they each, they each oversaw a lot of churches. And, but there was this one church in Fitzgerald, Georgia, they kept talking about. And Fitzgerald, Georgia today, population 8,000, probably smaller then. But Fitzgerald, Georgia, they would always talk about for 30, 40 years, no matter what pastor we appoint to that church, they all do well. And they are all so different. Some of them are outgoing. Some of them are quieter. Some of them have certain skills. Some of them don't have those skills, have others. But they're, they're radically different. But the church does well. And the pastor does well. And they always have a great experience. And I said to myself, I'm going to go to that church. I want to know the DNA. I'm not worried about the preachers. I just want to know those people. <laughs> Hallelujah. I want to get away from the preachers and meet the people here. I want to know the DNA. Wouldn't you want to know what is it about this church that would cause people to say that about them? And so I, I, I invited myself to go preach. <laughs> so, I just, so I just came out and so they said, uh, so I pulled up and I parked my car and y'all, I got out of my car before I could get, walk across the street to get in the church. They were coming out the door and they said, don't go in yet. Don't go in. Stand right here. Now notice this. All the streets on this side of town. Like, first of all, they said to me, now preacher, now bishop, you didn't you know, we're different. We're different. I love that too. <laughs> they said, now notice all the, all the streets on this side of town are named after Yankee generals. <gasps> what? And if you, if, you go, if you Google, if you go to maps, if you blow it up, you know how you can make it wide on your phone? If you look at that, you'll see that first street is General Ulysses S. Grant Street. The next street is named after the fellow who burned Atlanta. What was his name? Sherman. That'll be Sherman Avenue. They got, they got street name in, in South Georgia. And every other street named after Yankee Joe. Then they said, now over here on this side of town, notice that every street is named after a Confederate general. And there's Robert E. Lee and there's, Gord, there's General Gordon and there's Lightfoot. They all go like that. And uh, I, that, that blew, I, I was amazed. But here's the story, y'all. Did you know that after the Civil War, there were lots of displaced people, veterans, Yankees and Confederates. They didn't have a home to go back to. And the governor of Georgia said, if you don't have a home, if you fought in the Civil War, you don't have a home. Yankee or Confederate, blue or gray, you can come stake out land in Fitzgerald, Georgia, and you can live here. Sounds like a recipe for disaster to me, but, but they did it. And then the first year after the city was founded, they were going to have a Thanksgiving Day parade. And in order to keep the peace, they decided the Yankees will parade first <laughs> and go home. And then the Confederates will parade, and nobody gets hurt. But guess what happened? The Yankee parade started, and the Southerners said, hey, the war is over. Why don't we join the parade? Why don't we join the parade? And that day, there was one parade in Fitzgerald, Georgia. And after that, they decided, you got all these generals over here, you got all these generals over here. You know what we need right where the streets come together? We need to plant a church. 
Because the church belongs right in the middle of where things are all messed up. Is that beautiful to you? They said, you, you, you want to you do something meaningful? Don't continue fighting the Civil War. Put a church right where the sides come together. And let God address those dividing walls. Y'all, that, that's powerful to me. This is a church that 150 years ago made a decision that I'm still hearing about today. <laughs> then I went in. Imagine me going in to preach then. I just want to listen to them. I don't want to hear me. I want to hear y'all. But after I preached... Several people came to me and one would say, I'm the great, 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 great granddaughter of Yankees who lived here. And right beside her, I'm a great, great, great grandson of Confederates who were in that original group. And now I got it why they said to me, before I came in the church, we are different. Are we willing today to have a revival in our understanding of what it means to be the church? We come, we come from great histories. We, we honor those histories. But is it time to entertain God's vision for the church of the future? In which people come together. I don't mean they have to all be in the same building. I mean coming together like we are right now. Where one can sense there is a unity others cannot make possible. And where one can sense if there is any need or concern in this community, these two churches could address it together. And it would be taken care of. In a way that would lift the level of the entire community. I, I know in my heart, I, I, I just don't know that I could tell you how many churches I know that are like Central United Methodist Church in Fitzgerald, Georgia. But what a story. But I know two churches that could do what they did. I, I know that, you are, I know that that's a decision you, that you've already made. That's the that's side you want to be on. Wouldn't it be comforting and exciting to know we could make a decision tonight to entertain that vision of church and that 150 years from now, somebody would say, you know what those two crazy churches did? <laughs> that UMC, that AME church, they're dangerous when they get together. Amen. And they're modeling what the Bible... I love it when people say to me, we don't get to pick and choose what the Bible teaches, do we? I say, well, um, no, but have you ever read Ephesians 2? Is that the model? We don't get to pick and choose that either. So, um, Billy, were, 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 were you, you remember Handy Hancock? They were going to move. One day the cabinet came up with the idea that it was time for me to move to Mobile. And I was in a church that I was really enjoying. It's Green Pastures and Stillwaters. And, but okay, I've, I always said that I'll go where I've sent. And so I'm, now I'm going to go to Mobile. And so I got a call from a lady in Mobile in that church, and she said, well, kind of a rough voice, I sure hope you can come help this divided church. Oh, that was a delightful thing to go and tell my family about. I already love these people. This is really going to be so fun, isn't it? <laughs> Actually, what happened is I called Bishop Hancock, and I said, uh, Bishop, his name was Handy. I said, Bishop Hancock, you know, you, you and the cabinet are, are wonderful people. And uh, you put a lot of time in on things. But I just wanted you to know that I'm, I'm, I'm flexible on this appointment. We don't, we, we don't have to do the mobile thing. I mean, I, I can just stay right here, you know. I was scared to death. And, and you know what Bishop Hancock said? Lawson, you're going to mobile. But then he said, and this is, where I, this is what I want us to land on tonight. 
If you go on Mobile, and you're going to grow some new spiritual muscles. He knew I needed that. He knew God was already there. I just needed to stop being such a chicken and step in to that. The, the, the world needs a victory, y'all. But, but, but the world can't give it to itself. The world is dependent upon an AME church and a United Methodist church who choose to live in the victory that Jesus has made possible. Are you willing, are you willing to entertain that idea that the whole purpose of our being together here tonight is not only to celebrate salvation of our per, from our personal sins, but that this death of Jesus on the cross won a victory for the world and that somebody needs to be part of the victory party. Don't count on anybody else doing it. But, but, what, but what if we were to say to God, we'd like to grow some spiritual muscles as two congregations who had become spiritually strong enough that the victory you've already won could become evident <laughs> in our lives and in our community. We're going to sing a hymn right now, but I, I'm going to give you an invitation you may never have received before. Are you willing to come and, and present yourself before the Lord and kneel right here? Or if you can't get out of the pew, that's fine, right where, right where you are. But would we be willing to say, Lord God, I just read something in Ephesians 2 that absolutely is amazing to me that the church doesn't have a mission. The church is the mission, and I want to be in that victory. But I can't do it by myself. It only works when I'm with others that you've brought together. And you've brought them together tonight, Lord. So give me some spiritual, give me the spiritual muscles I need to be this kind of person in this kind of church. I invite you to consider coming forward tonight and offering yourself to God in the service of this vision. Thanks be to God.